Hello, and welcome to Focus, the Catholic Answers podcast for living, understanding, and defending your Catholic faith. I am Cy Kellett, your host, and among the things we hear is that if the Catholic Church would just lighten up on some of this morals uh, stuff, uh, we'd, we'd attract a lot more people. Uh, and it may be true in certain cases, but it's also true that the moral life of the church, the, the moral teachings of the church, uh, even the, the moral demands of living the Catholic life are attractive uh, to many people, one of whom is our guest, Tim Staples, senior apologist here at Catholic Answers. And uh, you hear that, Tim. You hear, you know, if the church would just lighten up. <laughs> and uh, stop focusing on, uh, well, contraception or you you name it, um, then it would it would attract more more people. Yeah, and and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, Sai, I I don't share this part of my conversion story that often. It's it's kind of a sentence in my story that I've shared for the last thirty plus years, but. Uh, the presentation, the Catholic presentation of the moral law was a key component in my odyssey to the Catholic faith. And it it really began with contraception. Now, if you remember, Cy, when, when I was in my battles with uh, uh, the famous Sergeant Matt Dula, um, he was a mind blower for me and I'd never met a catholic who knew his bible that mm-hmm. you know like he did and and he was amazing at how he would r- respond and it sent me in a you know a tizzy you know because I'm right. I'm scrambling going wait a minute how how can this be this guy's uh making sense here and there and when it came to the moral law it was kind of like a, a, a little aside as we were talking about various issues. It got onto the authority of the church and the necessity of having an authority. And then he got on the topic of abortion and saying, like, you know, for example, Tim, I mean, you look at the Protestant churches and how many of them now are pro-abortion. Now, this and this is back, let's see, when I met Matt, that was about 1986. Yeah, so and so it hasn't gotten better. So to, <laughs> no, it's to gotten say worse. The least. It's gotten worse. <laughs> yeah, but but already, you know. And then it was from there that he launched into contraception, which was something I'd never even considered because at my church or ecclesial community, as yeah. we say, we used to have classes on what kinds of contraception to use because you don't want to use an abortive fashion, uh-huh. because contraception good, abortion bad. And so this was the first time I had even considered contraception at all. And so he would later give me the book, Charles Provan, you know, the Protestant. It's it's a book on uh, contraception and Protestantism. Really? It's a great book written by a Protestant that shows how Protestants were unanimous up until, as you know, 1930. Right, right. At the Lambeth Conference. Yeah. All Protestants believed it it was a given because it was so much, you know, inculcated in Christian tradition and and communities it was just of course right right, right. until yeah. as you as you just said the the anglicans were the first at the 1930 lambeth conference and in certain limited circumstances contraception could be <laughs> open that door a little <laughs> yeah, bit door. open that door and then boom of course from that time forward it's been katie bar the door all right so 
you know, he tossed out this idea and he said, Tim, well, you know, have you ever considered Genesis chapter 38? All right. And that that's really what's opened the door. And Genesis 38, and I would end up reading St. Augustine's commentary on Genesis 38, the famous story of Judah and Tamar. And uh, for those who don't know, it, it's... Uh, the the story goes that um, Judah ends up in a relationship with his uh, daughter-in-law <laughs> by subterfuge, right? And this is what happens. Tamar's husband dies, and, and I think his name was Ur, and, and did not have any children. Well, Ur is the son of Judah. Well, Judah had two other sons, Onan and Selah. And so Onan, and you, you smile because Onanism becomes a, a, a word that all Catholics know. A lot right. don't realize it comes right here from Genesis 38. But at any rate, Onan, by the law of the Levirate of Deuteronomy 25, was tasked with raising up seed for his older brother Ur, who had died before Tamar had any children, right? Yeah. And i got to be honest with you. When he shared this with me, I didn't even know the story. I had read the entire Bible. But you just kind of read past it, I guess. Yeah, because it doesn't... It's like, what is this about? That, yeah. That's right. It, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see that. And so as he's sharing this with me, and then, you know, he challenged me to check out St. Augustine. You know, he he teaches on this. And this is something that all Christians believe. This is a mind blower for me. Really? All Christians believe this? Okay. Well, anyway, so what happens is uh, Onan is tasked by the Levirate Law of Deuteronomy 25 to raise up seed. And when he goes in unto his uh, 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 sister-in-law, the Scripture says he spilled his seed on the ground, right? And so my buddy tells me, Tim, that's a contraceptive act. And what was the punishment? He was killed. All right, so that I had to start digging. I'm going, well, wait a minute. That, that, right? And so... I, I got some Protestant commentaries and such, and of course the Protestant line in, in many of the commentaries is, well, that wasn't a contraceptive act, it was an act of disobedience against the Levirate law of Deuteronomy 25. That's why he was put to death, not for contraception. Oh, And so that was my response. But you know what Matt's response is? Well, well Tim, if you go to Deuteronomy 25, the punishment for not obeying the Levirate law was not death. It was, ah, yeah, yeah, right. it was public humiliation. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, the, the man was to be taken to the gate and the shoe removed. It, it was all yeah. this tribal cultural stuff, right? Yeah. But it wasn't uh, punishable by death. And then further, he said, Tim, and if it was punishable by death, later after Onan, remember, after Onan spills a seed, God killed him, right? Well, Judah had another son. Selah. And he purposely withheld Selah from Tamar. Okay, and that would lead to Tamar, you know, dressing up like a prostitute. Ends up, yeah, that's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother story. I know. And, and it is possible to read that and go, I don't know what any of this is about. <laughs> that's this is right. such it's, a strange story. It's very tribal yeah. this stuff, you know. But uh, Judah goes in unto Tamar and then, you know, you're more righteous than I and all this because she was desiring to have a child to raise up seed that he refused. Yeah. And so she's kind of has a mitigating factor in all that she did. But he, notice, he says, you were more righteous than I because I withheld yeah. Selah. 
And so basically, if the punishment was death, Judah and Selah would have been killed as well. So, all right. Here, uh, all so, right. I see that. Yeah. yeah okay. So the point so is, the, the, here we have in Genesis 38, contraception being revealed as a mortal sin. And this is something that Christians always believed. I get Provan's book. I'm reading. I'm going, oh my gosh, John Calvin called contraception murder. He equated it with murder. You know, and because remember right. in the ancient mind, because you know the idea of ensoulment and all of that, for 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 many, uh, it was at least contraceptive. Um, but it's interesting that some like John Calvin would would say it's murder because in a sense, when you have that understanding of ins, uh, of ensoulment, um, man, you're you're messing with life and even the possibility of allowing a person to live, you know, and and have a soul for all eternity and, and so forth. I mean, this is one of the reasons why uh, contraception was, was so looked down upon, as well as uh, abortion in the early, even before insolment, because you're actually, if you're going to kill someone before they even have the opportunity to receive a soul that is of a magnitude that's off oh, the charts you know yeah. so you know they had a different mindset back then about these things but there was this sense in which contraception is so so evil because you're not allowing god's will and a soul to come in and that's yeah. what, for calvin this is murder this is right all right so but what i you know that's by way of introduction side but what this did is it really opened the door for my buddy matt to explain to me why contraception is wrong and he introduced to me the concept of natural law right oh i see see because natural this law, is not part of your formation as a Protestant, absolutely. As an evangelical. I was a sola scriptura. I mean, we right, have right. Romans two fourteen through sixteen, where Saint Paul talks about you know if the Gentiles who have not the law keep the law, even though they don't have it, the law written on their hearts. If if they do this, they'll either be excused or accused on the day of judgment by their obedience to what is the natural law. But Paul doesn't really expound on it in any great detail as to what it is. This is part of our tradition, right? The Christian tradition that goes all the way back, right? And so he explained to me, Tim, you know, acts, human acts have forms. You know, what? why is lying wrong, right? Because you're, you're acting contrary to the communicative faculty. Your, your, your uh, speech is created into you by God, and it has a purpose. And so if you use the communicative faculty contrary to its nature, and that is the end of the communicative faculty is the communication of truth. Well, if you purposely distort the truth, you're acting contrary to the communicative function. And all of a sudden, man, wow, the, the, yeah, that uh, okay, yeah. that makes sense. It's why lying is wrong, not just that, that it's wrong, yeah. but why it's wrong. And then the sexual act, right, has a twofold end, the union of one man, woman, the procreation of children, and if you uh, eliminate purposefully either one of those ends, that act becomes gravely distorted, and all of a sudden... A whole new world opens up for me, Sai. 
that acts have purposes, natures. We can't act contrary to these. And so we went from contraception to abortion. And then I'll, I'll just do this real quick, and you can ask me whatever, because I could, I, I could talk about this for three years. But he challenged me to consider, Tim, look what has happened to Protestantism since they have left. He used this whole discourse on the moral law and natural law to show how, look, because the, the Protestant communities don't have the magisterium of the church, you know, we're talking about things here with, when we talk about the moral law, natural law, that can be known by the pure and natural light of reason. Yet God gives us revelation. In other words, we can know contraception is wrong, not from Genesis 38, but just by an examination of human nature and the nature of the conjugal act. We can know lying is wrong, not because the Ten Commandments tell us thou shalt not bear false witness, but because it's contrary to the communicative faculty and all of, all of these sorts of things. All right. And so from there, he starts challenging me to consider this. That even though, Tim, yeah, you're, you're, as I'm agreeing with him, and I'm going, wow, this is good and this is true, he says, why is it that in Protestant communities today, virtually everybody, they're all aborting babies now? They're all contracepting now. Why is that? Because he explained to me, God gives us a revelation, not only so that we can know truths that are supra-rational, that is beyond our rational uh, faculties, abilities, right? The Trinity, the yeah, incarnation, sure. the mysteries of the faith that transcend our, our natural uh, abilities, but also so, oh, this was so important to me, Sai, and I preach it all the time as I run around the world sharing the Catholic faith, this point that God gave us revelation and the magisterium of the church to interpret it definitively because not only do we need revelation and the church in order to know those super rational mysteries of the faith, but we also need it in order to know that which is knowable through the pure and natural light of reason. But let's face it, we're not all the sharpest knives in the tray. Not everybody is no. going to reason to the entire moral law. That's extremely rare. Well, even Aristotle couldn't no. reason to the entire moral law. That's I right. Mean, he, he, it, so you, when you say we can do it, yeah. you, you're talking about in a, in a, Theory. In a, in a theoretical <laughs> sense, we can do it. But yeah. none of us on our own can put it all together. And right. many of us... Like would miss the relevant uh, points to come to an understanding of why contraception is wrong. For example, we you, can, right. you can know it by the light of reason, but you're not likely to know it. <laughs> no, by the, it's a that, highly unlikely. In fact, that's yeah. why Vatican Council One defined infallibly that God gives us revelation, so that even those truths like the moral law that are knowable through the pure and natural light of reason can be known with facility. Yeah accuracy and without the admixture of error. And Matt shared with me, Tim, this is Catholic teaching, my friend. That was Vatican Council One, long, long time ago. But how prophetic is it? Because look at Protestantism. And since then, I mean, now th this would have been back in 1986, but even then, because remember, back, I, I know this because I'm a Southern Baptist, back in the uh, 70s, the Southern Baptist completely capitulated 
on on abortion, not just contraception. Contraception had gone a long time before that. The Lambeth Conference opened up the door, and Protestants just dropped like flies as far as accepting contraception. But abortion, Cy Kellett, abortion. In the 1970s, even the Southern Baptists said it's okay in cases of rape, incest, life of the mother. Now, later, in I, I tell you what, you got to praise the Southern Baptists for this, because it's the only example that I can think of when it comes to the moral law, where you have a Christian body that fell and actually came back. Yeah, right. In the late 80s, the Southern right. Baptists actually backtracked, and they said no more in cases of rape and incest, but they still hold to... In the case of life of the mother, you can kill the baby, and that's directly. We're not talking about double effect here. No, we're no, talking about directly, directly killing, life. which is in fact murder. But sigh, I mean, I I could go down the list, and as I started looking into this, and by the way, here at Catholic Answers, I did a a, a DVD called Truth and Consequences, where and it was basically based on that conversation I had with Matt Dool all those years ago, but I kind of updated it and did some research, and it's incredible to see today, Cy, that, you know, take the Mormons, for example. After Roe, January 22nd, right, of 1973, in February of that same, <laughs> you know, 1973, in the, what's called the Priesthood Bulletin, the Mormon prophet got a revelation that... In some cases, abortion is okay. Now, before, the Mormons oh. had been absolutely no, but after Roe, he got a revelation. And I always say, you know, the Mormons, they held out for a month. Man. <laughs> they were strong for a month, but then said that uh, rape, incest, life of the mother, this, you know, has to be dealt with on a local level, and it's it's theoretically, it's okay, says the prophet. I mean, and we can go down the list from the largest Methodist body, the United Methodist Church, abortion without question, the largest, evan- the, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, in their hospitals, abortions as an elective surgery, no questions asked. It's Katie bar the door on, on abortion. The Presbyterian USA, and again, that's the largest Lutheran body, the largest uh, um, uh, Baptist body, the Southern Baptists uh, okayed it. The Presbyterian USA, the largest Presbyterian body, has no, I mean, again, I mean, there's yeah. no questions asked. The American Baptists, they actually say on their website, this is a matter of conscience, and they take no stand in either direction. I mean, it's unbelievable. Just to give you an example, and I could go down a litany, the Salvation Army of all people. I mean, they've opened the door. I mean, it, there's, there is simply no Protestant body left that is entirely pro-life. And folks, you know what, without getting into all, all of these, uh, the, the brutal details, but the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America actually says on their website that a baby does not have an absolute right to be born. That's a quote. And then wow. it says, but neither does the mother have an absolute right to kill the baby. The truth is found somewhere in between, right? Wow. I mean, this is how far the Christian ecclesial communities ha- have fallen. Okay, so now now some of this I'm fast-forwarding beyond my conversation with Matt Doolittle, but I'm telling you, Cy, when Matt presented this to me, 
It, it opened the door with contraception, with abortion, and then you get into all the other issues that were rearing their ugly heads. I mean, you know, transgender stuff. It's been around since the 1920s. Yeah. It used to be a punchline. In fact, I was watching Dean Martin the other night. Oh, he did? <laughs> and 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 they, they were ridiculing, you know, the Denmark thing about uh, sex changes. It used to be... I. I would not be able to say that punchline right now, but but the, the, it was kind of a punchline, you know. It was, sure, it yeah, was so right. extreme, but yet it's the Catholic Church and and Cy, This is the main point I wanted to share in this this segment with you is that it is historically the Catholic Church alone that has been the prophetic voice on every moral issue. I was reading this morning section 2331 through 2336 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it hammers, in fact, you know, 2331 quotes Genesis 127, which has become, uh, you know, a, a bigoted verse of Scripture. I don't think we're allowed to quote that in our culture today, right? Yeah, male, male and female, he created them. Isn't that some Right? That has become anathema. Well, the Catechism quotes it, and this is, you know, the 1997 Catechism, catechism before all this stuff really came to the head it has now, that quotes that, and then in, ver- in 2336, that each human being must accept his or her sex. This is foundational for the spiritual life. It's foundational for the moral order. It's foundational for civilization. Isn't that kind of prophetic given to where we've Isn't gone today? It? Right, And yeah. yet, Cy Kellett and everyone listening to me right now, go to your local Methodist—we have a Methodist church. My Two of my kids went to their, their preschool right down the street from my house, and you got rainbow flags— on top of the United Methodist uh, uh, Church building, right, and it's it's pro homosexual now. Of course, the United Methodists have split over that issue, but pro abortion, pro LGBTQRSTUV, transgender, and on and on. And so, this is the point I wanted to make, folks. Do not give into the lie that says, you know, we need to be quiet. Don't talk about this stuff, you know, talk about Jesus and don't talk about the moral law. Well, I am all in favor of talking about Jesus, but I'm telling you as a personal experience, it was the proclamation of the moral law by my friend Matt Dula that opened a door for me and I saw the beauty of the moral law. I call it, you know, the seamless garment. I'm not doing the Cardinal Bernardine thing here. Bad, bad. (laughs) I'm talking a seamless garment in the sense that the moral law, its presentation in the Catholic Church is so connected and unified. It breaks my heart to see today we have some wearing red hats and calling themselves bishops, talking about homosexual marriages being blessed and things like that. I mean, that's absolutely absurd. But the the beauty of it, though, Cy, yeah. is look who's speaking out clearly. You know, just the other day when Pope Francis was interviewed about the homosexual thing, he said, yeah. look, no, it's not a crime. Yeah. You know, Jesus had something to say about that. You know, I think he said... Uh, 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 he that's without sin among you cast the first stone. I <laughs> right. think that, but but he said, go and sin no more, right? And I think that's 
Pope Francis and the Catholic Church emphasis here. We're not talking about crime. He said, but it is a sin. Yeah. The homosexual act is always and in every circumstance, it, it as the catechism yeah. says in section 2357, it is a sin. And folks, that proclamation of the truth, in spite of what you may hear from a few wayward cardinals or or bishops, the Catholic or countries. Church, or countries, <laughs> the Germans or the Flemish or, or whatever. But you see, they don't represent the Catholic no, Church. that's right, that's right. They They're... do not. Just because you're a bishop doesn't mean you represent the Catholic Church. When you speak contrary to the teachings of the Catholic Church, you're on your own, pal. Yeah. <laughs> you're not speaking for the Church. So folks, the proclamation of the moral law was one of the most beautiful and powerful things. And I always think of John 10. When Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me, right? There are millions of our Protestant friends that are sitting in churches where they're proclaiming all the LGBTQRSDUV, and there's something not sitting right in their hearts, yeah. and they're going, what in the world is going on here? We need to proclaim the truth because I'm telling you, this is a an area where those true lovers of Jesus who are truly seeking truth that are that are out in the you know in the highways and the byways and the and in the midst of the confusion when they hear the truth they will come we have to proclaim it don't you think too like with with, uh, with so many of these moral I- innovations what is produced by the moral innovation is a whole group of victims yes. who when they realize that they've been victimized uh are uh, in uh, are are in a certain way held up to say not everybody went along with my victimization. There was somebody who stood up and said no, yes. and 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 I've heard many people say those kinds of things. You know, like when when I was in the lifestyle, for example, and the Catholic Church at the time seemed like nonsense to me, but yeah. now I realize that was the only group that was there to tell me the truth and and to stand up for me. Amen. Let, let me. You are you are so right. I'm thinking of the kids now that are being mutilated, and we're already because of the transgender insanity, right? And they're already starting to come out. These people that they're already mutilated, but yeah. they're saying and they're suing. We're seeing Which, more and more cases of this. They're suing and yeah. saying, "Why did you do this to me? I was 12. there was nothing wrong with me. <laughs> I was I was 13 years old. I was yeah. confused." Why did you do this to me? Right. But it's been the Catholic Church, and it always will be, that is going to proclaim that truth. And if I could, just for a minute, Cy, uh, just to give people a sense, when you look look at the abortion issue, which, you know, it, it seems so simple, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, thou shalt not kill. I mean, it doesn't take rocket science. And yet, when you look at the way since Roe, and thanks be to God, it's been overturned, but the battle has just begun, as right, you know, right. in the United States and around the world. But just since 1973, as I mentioned, the Mormons fell, and Protestant churches had either already fallen, like the United Methodists, they were already teaching abortion back in 1971. The United Church of Christ was already teaching it in 1971. In fact, they were co-founders of the uh, National Christian Coalition for Abortion Rights. Founded in 1971. I never even heard of that. Wow. <laughs> yes, it still exists. And that, by the way, the, the United Church of Christ, that's otherwise known as Obama's church, right? And, and the, the United uh, United Methodist Church. But what, what you find, it, to me, th- this shows the stark contrast between the world and the other 
Christian bodies and the Catholic Church, because you see this deterioration that really began in 1930 in a dramatic way and just continues, and now it's just insane what's going on in in Christian quote-unquote communities. But look at, from 1973, the Church immediately, because let's face it, Cy, when Roe happened, that sent shockwaves all around the world, not just the United States, because the United States is, whether you like it or not, the leader of, used to be the Western world, basically the world, has a measurable influence, right? And so what happens immediately, you know, the Mormons fall, and as I mentioned before. I see, yeah, yeah, right. So what we do is like a contagion almost for the world. You just can't deny that, you know? But here's the thing. At the same time, the world is literally falling apart into moral chaos, and that's where we are right now. Look at the Catholic Church. On November 18th, 1974, issues declaration, the Declaration on Procured Abortion, right? Right after 1973, I think comes 1974, and the church hammers it. Now, let me quote it. From the time the ovum is fertilized, a life is begun. A life is begun which is neither that of the father nor the mother. It is rather the life of a new human being with his own growth. It would never be made human life if it were not human life already. So immediately, and notice the argumentation was not on personhood initially. No. It was this is a human being. Yeah. You don't have to get into the quagmire of personhood because it's a human being. As John Paul would later say, how could a human being not be a person? But the point is, hammers it right there. And then you have, and I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff here, in 1987, February 27th, um, Donum Vitae, the church really enters intensely into the personhood argument, because that becomes one of the biggest foibles, one of the uh, biggest lies of the pro-death movement, right? Well, it's not a person. And so in 1987, Donum Vitae in section one says the human being is to be respected and treated as a person from the moment of conception, and therefore from that same moment his rights as a person must be recognized, among which in the first place is the inviolable right of every innocent human being to life. So remember the context here, Sai, is we have a very ancient understanding that go, you mentioned Aristotle, goes all the way back to Aristotle of insolment, right? This is what the entire Western world had believed for literally thousands of years, that, you know, uh, we didn't understand until the 19th century, the ovary. The ovary hadn't been discovered. Right. And so how does this baby come? And so the idea was, well, the semen goes in with the menstrual juices and the blood of the woman. That's what they used to call it. And a a human begins to form, but over time, it has to reach a state that is um, dignified enough to receive a human soul. And it was said to be 40 days for men and 80 days for for boys and 80 days for girls. And that was understood for thousands of years, literally. Right, that that, and so that was kind of the language the world, including theology and such, had used, and that's why you have the famous Saint Thomas Aquinas. People will say, "Well, Saint Thomas taught insolment." Well, yeah, the whole world taught. Right, he was following the science, so to speak, to do his theology 
in, in the light of the science that was current at the time. Exactly. Yeah. But of course now, uh, contraception, as we mentioned before, was understood to be so gravely sinful, uh, or not contraception, but abortion, although the two are related. But it was so gravely wrong because you're talking about killing before insolment. So if you kill after insolment, at least there's an eternal soul. And the you know, in the ancient oh, way, I it could see. be in limbo or we believe in heaven. But you kill before insolment, then the person never has a chance at never existence. Has yeah. a chance at existence. So I mean, even before so that whole argument is is just, oh my gosh, it's it's uh, anyway. So the, the point is, insolment, though, had been understood for so long, when the church enters into the discussion, she tiptoes. She does not just come in, but we're examining this now with new science, the science of fetology, which was brand new in the 1970s, right? Mm-hmm. And the 80s, especially, fetology takes off and into the 90s. And so the church is slow to say, when insolment, quote-unquote, happens. Now, over time, you see... Now, notice in 1987, the human beings are respected and treated as a person, it says. doesn't come out and says it is a person right. from the moment of conception, but must be treated as a person, right? And I'm going to skip down now to Pope St. John Paul the Great's encyclical letter, Evangelium Vitae of March 25, 1995, where he takes a... a, a light year step forward when he says, some people try to justify abortion by claiming that the result, this is paragraph 60, by claiming the result of conception, at least up to a certain number of days, cannot yet be considered a personal human life. But in fact, and he quotes the 74 declaration that I quoted earlier, from the time that the ovum is fertilized, a life has begun, which is neither that of the father nor the mother. It is rather the life of a new human being with his own growth. It would never be made human if it were not already human. This has always been clear, and modern genetic science offers clear confirmation. So notice yep, John Paul right. quotes. The, yeah. But notice, person is not mentioned in that document. No, right. Because you don't really need it to we know. We have a biological fact that a human a, being exists. That's right. That's what that is. That's but, what that being is. So John Paul clearly states we have a... Per, however, we have a personal human life and a new human being at the moment of conception. So notice he says a personal human life. He adds that Mm -hmm. to the discussion. And then you have the catechism that would later come out in 97 in paragraph 2270, from the first moment of his existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person. So notice the language. He's, he's, John Paul, I think even went further in saying a personal uh, what what was it? A personal human life. He didn't say is a person, but it's like we're, we're there's hardly any wiggle room left here. Okay, but in section twenty two seventy of the Catechism, from the first moment of his existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person, right? And then we skip down to the follow up to Donum Vitae. Uh, or the follow-up to the Declaration on Procured Abortion, is um, Donum Vitae. I'm sorry. You had Donum Vitae, which was a follow-up to the 74 document. Now in 1987, we have the instruction of the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, Donum Vitae, 
the, the follow-up, and that's called Dignitas Personae. This is the document that came out in 2008, promulgated on the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, September 8th, 2008, where the Church spoke to this question of when does personhood begin. And again, the Church did not come out and say, from the instant of conception, it is a person, or he is a person. But what it does say, it's, it seems to be leaving no, no wiggle room left. He says, the human embryo has therefore from the very beginning the dignity proper to a person. Yeah, right. So, right. so the reason why I bring all this up, Cy, is that the church, even though the church does not come out and say, is a human person, the personhood argument really doesn't even matter w- with regard to abortion. <laughs> Right, number one. But number two, the church has moved since 1974 to 2008. In those 30 years, 29 years, the church has tackled this thing, turned it upside down, inside out, examining using nanotechnology that we have now in fetology and whatnot, up to the point where we are right on the verge. And I have no doubt the church will say, that is a person. I have no doubt at all. But to me, this is the beauty of the Catholic Church. Because it's such precise care to speak honestly, given what we know about what the moral law is. There's no casualness here. There's no skipping steps. It's such precise care, which seems to me the the only dignified way to be a moral person, that, that it represents... This is a... Representing the moral law is a gift that we don't we don't take casually. If that's it takes right. twenty nine years, if it takes a hundred years, that's right. We're gonna bit by bit get to where we need to get. That is what blew my mind, Cycle, and that's why I say the presentation of the moral law was a key component that led me to the Catholic Church, and yeah. that's why it breaks my heart when I hear people say, "Oh, you don't want to talk about that." You yeah, know, you, right, you don't right. want to. No. Talk about it. Shout it from the rooftops. Right. Be all things to all people that by all means I might save some, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22. You know, for many, they will come to the truth through the presentation of the moral law. For many, it's a proclamation of the charisma. It's a proc- proclamation of the person of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But my friends, the weapon of our warfare is truth. The beauty of the truth that we have. My Catholic friends, you need to stand up, shout it. You need to learn it, number one, because you ain't going to be shouting it if you don't know it. But stand up and shout it. In a coffee shop, talking to college kids, I've been there many times, uh, talking to college kids, it's incredible. You, the confusion coming out of these kids' mouths, they have no idea what to believe. I've talked to lots of them uh, in the last few years. And I'm thinking of this one kid I was in a conversation with, and and as it, it it's always about the moral law. When you talk to young people, it always gets down to transgender, homosexual stuff because that's what they're being inundated with. And if we're going to avoid the conversation, are you kidding me? We're missing a terrible, a, a great opportunity. We're an t- opportunity. We're... These kids are being slaughtered out there. And yet, you know, I had this one kid who he started out. He had a chip on his shoulder, and he was angry, <laughs> if anything. At me, and we ended up walking out into the parking lot because I was going to go. 
And, and I turned off my computer and he walked with me out into the parking lot and we continued the conversation out. And by the end of the conversation that went about two hours, this kid said, wow, I have never heard what you have just said to me. I'm not saying I agree with it, but man, I've got a lot to think about. So I gave him Catholic.com and, right. and so forth. And that's what we have to be about because ultimately, man, when the moral law is being distorted as it is, and even at times from churchmen, you know, no, guys, that's when we stand up. When you have a churchman, and I don't care who it is, if it's a red hat or any hat, right? who stands up and says that we need, right, we need to have, let's say, women priests. No, sorry, that's an infallible teaching of the church. We need to bless homosexual marriages. No, sorry, as our Holy Father Pope Francis has said through through the CDF or the DDF now, um, uh, you know, the church cannot bless sin. That's invalid. It's something we as Catholics have to stand up against, as Pope Francis said, when we're talking about homosexual acts, we're talking about sins. And yes, we can talk about, yeah, the countries that are still putting people to death. I am against that, Psychelet. We should be against that as Christians, executing people. No, that's not the way to go. We go the way of Jesus. Amen. Neither do we condemn thee, go and sin no more. It's a sin problem here, my friend. Not That, that doesn't mean, you know, we don't have issues that are a matter of okay. criminality, you know, when it comes to abusing children sexually and, and things like that. Absolutely, I am with you. But no, not when it comes to things like adultery, which was punishable by death in the Old Testament, folks. If we're going to be sticklers to the law... Then yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a right. whole right. lot of dead politicians. I'll guarantee you that right now. If adultery is punishable by death, but no, this is a matter of sin, and we as Catholics have to proclaim it as such, so that people can be liberated from the darkness that comes from the distortion of the law. And you yourself are evidence that it has an apologetic and evangeliz- evangelizing power. Amen, brother. Tim Staples, thank you very, very much. God bless you. Thanks to all of our listeners. We love it when you spend this time with us. If you want to send us a note, send it to focus at, I forgot what it was for a second, focus at catholic.com. Send it to focus at catholic.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so by going to give catholic.com. We do need a few bucks to turn on the lights and uh, keep everything running here. Givecatholic.com is where you go. And as always, if you would be kind enough to give us that five-star review, maybe a few nice words, that does help to grow the podcast. I'm Cy Kelly, your host. We'll see you next time, God willing, right here on Catholic Answers Focus. Mm -hmm.